Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. Welcome to episode 15. 15 episodes. Um, I'm joined today by Dave Kalo from the unofficial Apple weblog. I believe you're also like a, a library, you do IT for a library or something? Uh, there was a time where I did IT for a museum. Oh, a and museum. Before that, I did it for a school. But uh, right now, combine, my IT days are behind me. If you combine a school and a museum, it's something mm-hmm. like a library. <laughs> Lots of books around that you're not really allowed to touch. <laughs> or that you don't really care to. <laughs> um, right. What do you do now? Oh, boy, I do a lot of things now. My day job, as you know, is writing over the unofficial Apple Web blog. And uh, I'll write articles over there and edit articles over there. And that's what I do most of the time. And then at night, what I call my PM shift, I work on my own site, 52 Tiger, and uh, a couple other podcasts. I did not realize that you had gone full-time media producer. Isn't it crazy? It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it's fun. And uh, when I get time, I pay attention to my children and my wife and my dog. Yeah, I haven't been good at that lately. Fortunately, I don't have children. But (laughs) Well, you've got the animals and your wife and all that. I do. It's my wife that I feel I have been uh, neglecting in my obsession over things like iPhone cough buttons and whatnot. But it's fun to make those little utilities and then release them to everybody. It is fun. It's going to know that they're benefiting from them. Exactly. I get, I get a tingly feeling uh, when someone says, Oh my God, that's perfect. Thank you. Even if it's only one person after I put four hours into something, (laughs) one person's like, Oh my, that's exactly what I've been looking for. And I'm like, all right, validated. I feel good. Yeah. Well, what's the cutoff point between I'll spend X time on this thing, which will accomplish a task that takes X minutes. Like, is it like a, a seaside? You have to balance it or what? You're supposed to. It's supposed to be yeah. a ratio, like uh, a return on investment on on a project like that. But given that I don't get paid a dime for 90% of the stuff I work on in my free time, mm-hmm. there's no ROI to worry about. It's just, it's all for fun. I was going to say, it's also just fun to do, I would imagine. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Yeah. If it was any kind of labor, there was no way I would touch it. <laughs> I got to neglect my wife and dogs for this horrible soul crushing exactly. experiment. Yeah. No, that wouldn't happen. I no. really, it makes me relaxed and happy. Yeah. Cool. Um, so let's see. You, given that you work for an Apple weblog, can we call it a weblog still? That's weird. I guess we have to. It's in the title now, right? Right, because the W without it is just ta. <laughs> that means like goodbye in colloquial Tahiti, British, right? Uh, something like that. Uh, but you would know something about the rumored iPad mini. I've been paying too little attention to rumors as I usually do. But mm-hmm. you know anything about tomorrow's event coming up? Actually, by the time this airs, today's event? Well, well, I don't... I. I I think I know what most folks know about today's event by the time you're listening to this is that Apple is expected to release a smaller form factor iPad somewhere in the seven point blah, 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 inch 
uh, range that's going to be, I'm going to guess, around 300 bucks. Um, the, a lot of the folks think it's going to be pushed towards uh, the education market, which I think makes perfect sense because uh, Erica Sadoon, who you know, our colleague over at Tua, and I were talking about this in IRC the other day, and we both think that whoever wins the classroom is just going to win tablets. Because um, it just... No, go ahead. <laughs> because there's there's so many kids who will benefit from these, and right now there are... You know, schools who think about it, but still, you're talking four or five hundred dollars each. That's you know, that's not a lot of money. I mean, it is a lot of money, but especially for schools who just don't have a ton of dough. And it, it even goes beyond like elementary school and high school. Think about college, right? When you're buying textbooks that are what seventy, eighty, a hundred bucks each, um, when you can just get them electronic versions for significantly less money, and also think about like what do you do at the end of the semester? You you sell your book back to the bookstore. And then the incoming class, yeah, right, for a pittance, but then the incoming class buys it for whatever, 60% off. Well, the, the publisher's not making anything off of that sale. And if there's no changes to the version of the book, there could be three incoming freshman class who are just buying used books. And again, the, uh, the publisher doesn't make anything. Whereas the publisher released a $30 ebook every year, then they would eliminate that whole resale market and get paid every time. I mean, there, there's so much to do in order to make that successful, meaning uh, where they're as ubiquitous in classrooms as pens are. But whoever does it right will will do a good job. Now, Amazon sort of threw the gauntlet down with Whispered Sync, and that's what it's, not what it's called, Whispered something. Whispered Sync is the syncing thing. But whatever it is, it's an, an administration tool for, for like IT guys in schools who can manage a fleet of Kindles uh, pretty easily. So I don't know. We'll see what Apple does. Isn't uh, isn't the education market what uh, what iBooks was ostensibly geared towards? Yeah, certainly. You know the um, what is it iBooks author that allows teachers and really anyone, I guess, to make um, a book for the iPad, as you know, Brad. I, I, I do know. <laughs> and I think it was definitely aimed. You know, that was definitely aimed at uh, teachers and educators and administrators. Did it work? I don't know. Uh, my only, I only have anecdotal ex- uh, evidence on this. Yeah, and you know what that's actually worth. But my wife is a teacher in a, a pretty large school district out here. And now large is, you know, for a town of 5,000. I live <laughs> out in the boonies, as you know. And last, I would say the end of last year, the majority of the teachers were issued iPads, but they weren't really given a direction so a lot of them just simply don't know what to do with them. They sort of sit around or just collect dust or just end up playing educational games. So you have to know what you're doing if you're going to deploy these things. So I, I can't say if it's worked or not because I haven't really looked enough, I guess, to investigate. Have you uh, have you read my articles that I wrote over the last couple of years on Tua about the university that had the program for incoming freshmen? Like, oh, yeah. I, Every student gets an iPad now. Um, so they would be a few years into school now, right? Yeah, they're still doing it, though. Like, every incoming person is getting an iPad. They're basing their curriculum around using the tools available. Hmm. Uh, like, they're doing... I, I wish I could remember the name of the school. They're going to be mad if they hear this, because I forgot their name. But um, I forget something on every show. It's kind of like, it's my shtick. 
<laughs> but but they really they really um, integrated it in a way that uh, they didn't require any professors to use it. Like it wasn't mandatory. But by the end of the second year, they had an eighty percent adoption rate. Wow. And they they revamped. It was like that, like the whole book thing. Like you didn't have to buy books anymore. They found all these benefits, and they did a really good job with it early on. It, was that here in the states? No. It, oh yeah, it, I think it was Texas. Okay, I remember um, talking with David Cleland over at the Wallace High School in Northern Ireland. They were the first school to deploy a one-on-one iPad program in the country the country and the largest one. I guess if you're the first, you're also the largest, even if you only <laughs> distribute two, right? But now they're more than a year into it. And I did a, a huge interview with him a while ago. And it's it's so impressive what they've managed to, done, to do. The teachers right away started making their textbooks, you know, in iBooks Author and giving them to the kids. But one of the things he noticed that I thought was really compelling was a project that would take two weeks in the classroom was now done in a couple of days. And he gave the example of they were in a, sometimes I think a chemistry lab where they had to, you know, conduct an, think of an experiment, set it up, um, conduct the experiment, and then they had to, have, there was a step where they had to, you know, sketch the equipment and sketch what they did and then, you know, propose their hypothesis and test it and then describe the results. And all of these things took days and days and days and days to do. Whereas they could just use the iPad to film the experiment, not film it, you know what I mean, record video, and use a sketch app to sketch the thing, and then do something in pages to write a presentation, and have it all done. And so not only did the students get the satisfaction of completing the task more quickly, but the teachers have this time freed up, where they can now move further along in their lesson plans and address more of what they intend to address throughout the course of the year. So they feel less rushed when the end of the year is approaching and they're looking at their curriculum saying, I need to still try to get to A, B, and C. It's really amazing. Um, Abilene Christian University. That's Ah, that was it. If, you, uh, if, you, if anyone wants to know what I'm talking about and what they've done and read the studies, uh, go to TUA, T-U-A-W.com, and search for Abilene Christian University. You'll find some really cool stuff. All right, Shutterstock. Shutterstock.com has over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. If you're looking for images for your website or blog, print ad, trade show swag, or even apps, Shutterstock is the way to go with over 10,000 new images added each day. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection. You can find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages, whatever fits your needs. You never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or your mock-up, you can do that too. Download any image in any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, take them. They make it easy to curate and share pictures via lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own lightbox gallery as you search. They even have an iPad app for all of this. If you like an image and you want to run it in in print or uh, on swag for your trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips that can come in handy. Need help or have questions? You get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions, and they also have have 24-hour support during the week. 
Go to Shutterstock.com and sign up for free, no credit card needed. Get 30% off of any package, once you, and once you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME10. So, head on over to Shutterstock.com and find the images you've been looking for today. That was one of my better reads. I like that Dan sent me. It reminds me of like an old advertisement from the 50s. You know, tell them Dan sent you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, uh, I'm driving. I live in a town that's five times bigger than your town, which wow. puts me at like 25,000 people, uh, which is, <laughs> in my opinion, really small. I'm happy, though. Um, but it's a very hilly area. It's called unglaciated uh, part of Minnesota where the glaciers did not smooth everything out like in the northern part oh yeah and uh i live on top of one of those hills very top it's about a two mile climb kind of oh, like geez. uh kind of like driving in the mountains mm-hmm. and that must uh, be fun in the snow yeah because oh, <laughs> <laughs> the way the the way the road winds through it uh when when snow melts a little bit during the day and it it drains across the road and then temperature drops mm-hmm. the curves the like hairpin curves become ice so you get during uh during inclement weather you get people going down that hill at about uh reverse <laughs> like they're going so slow and everyone's just like they're barely letting off their brake and we just inch down the hill and invariably someone crashes anyway. It's like a bobsled course. It, it It's like a bobsled with a like two ton bobsled. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I'm driving up that hill today and all of a sudden my uh, battery light comes on and then my stereo goes out oh. and a little bit farther up the hill, all of my gauges go dead. But my engine's still going. So I'm like, all right, I can make it home. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, fourth gear stops working. Had to drop down to third. Mm-hmm. Third gear stops working. Second gear. Pretty soon, I can only move in first without... If I move to second, it starts to sputter and die. You're going like six miles an hour. Yeah, and pretty soon, I'm sliding backward. Because oh, no. it is really steep. And then uh, and then it just died. And there was a jogger running by, because some people are hardcore with their running. Yeah. And uh, I said, can you steer? I'll try to push and we'll get off the road. Because it's, it's, you can't see, you can never see more than like 30 feet on this road before Jeez. a turn. Yeah. So you never know where the oncoming traffic is coming from. Um, and I just wanted to get off the road. And it turns out I'm not in good enough shape to push a car <laughs> up like a 45 degree incline. Um, I'd but, wager that even... Uh, Mr. Universe would have trouble pushing a car up a 45 degree. In my head, it We're talking a ton of steel. Yeah. 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 I realize that now. Um, Yeah. But but I had a few people uh, stop when they saw me standing by my car in the middle of a dangerous road. And they jumped out and got a motorcycle pulled up. And we got it up uh, about 100 feet and off into a side road. Oh, good. Then the towing company, they're, they're... tow truck driver had gone home 15 minutes before i called of and course. it was about two miles back to my house so i started walking and that's why we're recording an hour later tonight so where's the car now it's sitting out it's abandoned i'll probably get a ticket i left a <laughs> note on the dashboard that says car died call tow in morning <laughs> hopefully some you know small town cop will have mercy on me but 
I I was thinking on my long walk home, how could I hack this walk? <laughs> to make it look... And right. instead, I came up with a blog post called You Can't Hack Walking. Um, <laughs> because I just, given the lack of any tools, hmm. I thought about stealing a skateboard. There was a skateboard in the driveway I walked by. You thought about for half a second, you didn't, you? Mm, right. Three or four seconds, I think. <laughs> I, you know, debated if the skateboard was in the driveway, was the kid likely to be nearby? And right. was the home affluent enough that this skateboard would not be missed? Uh, mm-hmm. And eventually, after a series of questions like that, I decided I should probably just keep walking. And I did. And not risk it. You know, when I lived in, in Boston, I didn't have a car at all. Um, but my friends and I, we knew if we were going to, let's say, you know, X, Y, or Z place, and it was, say, raining or snowing or really cold, we knew which buildings we could cut through. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, well, I'm going to Coffee Square Mall today. Great. Then I can cut through Lord & Taylor. Then I can cut through, uh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I'm trying to remember, like, 100 years ago now. This hotel, and then I can cut through Tower Records, and I can be out of the rain and inside the warm for at least these three uh, buildings. Did you have Skyways at all? No, not back then. Minneapolis built a while ago, a long, long while ago, they built a Skyway system where you could kind of like uh, downtown, like Nicolette area. You mm-hmm. can map out a route where you never actually have to go outside. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, it's also, you know, negative 20 in the winter. and Yeah, you've got darn good reason to be indoors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our next sponsor today is Hover.com, Simplified Domain Management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com, .net, or maybe a .co or .tv. Hover makes it easy. Just enter the name you're interested in into their search box, and Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it'll come up with some suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords, and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like... We'll just go with Digital Genie that does its best to grant every DNS wish. They have real human beings available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you've got any problems... Oh, they wrote that copy. Uh, If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy. Somebody just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And, even though I'm not Dan, if you use the code DANSENTME or visit Hover.com slash DANSENTME, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from Hover.com. I want to hire Mike Rose uh, once a week to kind of work his magic on my sponsor scripts. (laughs) He does have dulcet tones. (laughs) No offense to Hattie and Dan, but... Uh, these need some polishing because they have little things that my brain says that's not right a second before my mouth reads it. Yeah, that's the worst. I've had that happen a couple times too. And reading I those stumble. things. Me too. So, um, since this is a little bit of a, a wandering episode, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask you about drumming. You're a drummer. I am. Have been for a long time. Since I was seven, do you have a drum kit right now? I do. It's it's down in the basement, right right at this moment. When was the last time you played it? <clears throat> uh, last weekend. 
So, so it's not a daily thing. No, it's not a daily thing uh, for a few reasons. One, it's not a soundproof room, so it annoys pretty much everyone within a hundred yards. So I try to keep it during, you know, maybe one or two when people are up, and on the usually on the weekends they're out. Oh, one and two really in the afternoon. Yeah, and uh. also, like I said, most of the folks on my street are summer folks, so there's not a lot of people around for most of the year. So there's really, I think people are pretty tolerant. But my kids get either delighted or annoyed. There's, there's no in between. Oh, cool, dad's playing his drums, or oh, god, I wish dad wouldn't play his drums. So would you would you describe your kit as more like uh, I don't know Tommy Lee or or like jazz trio? Like how how do you uh, how do you roll? It, it's more jazz trio. There was a time, of course, in high school when I thought the more drums you had, the more <laughs> options you had, and you know the more uh, the greater your artistic potential because you had so many options, you know. And I've pared things down to um, just a, a little five-piece Ludwig set that I've got down there now. Really just, um, let me think, one ride cymbal, one crash, uh, my good old hi-hat. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Nice and small. Nothing no crazy. No tom? Yeah. Uh, one floor tom, you yeah. know, two above the base. And uh, that's it. Got to have the floor tom. Got to, yeah. I would, I honestly, I would like another one of those. I think, see, like to me, uh, some of my favorite drummers are really good with uh, with two toms. You know, it's basically mm-hmm. it's two toms, a ride, a uh, hi hat, and a snare and a kick mm-hmm. drum. Um, but I love the sound, like the Adam Ant kind of jungle beat. Yeah, that you get from a double tom and then double mm-hmm. drummers. What do you think of like uh, like Arcade Fire and bands that are doing like the two drum thing? That seems to be getting bigger. Yeah, I've always thought that was uh, just tricky to coordinate because I always have to think of it as I'm the one of the guys playing. Um, uh, years and years and years ago, when I was still in high school, I attended a, a drum clinic with Chester Thompson. He played with he was in the touring uh, Genesis band, so he always toured with. He I don't think he recorded with them, but I always toured with them. So sometimes, you know, he'd play with Phil during certain songs, and we asked him about that. What is it like to have two drummers going at the same time? And he just said that you set drums up so you can see each other, so you can see each other's eyes to read the cues from each other person. And uh, it's it's different than like a rhythm guitarist and a lead guitarist where your roles are really defined. You know, the rhythm guitarist is more part of the rhythm section where he's, right. part of his job is just keeping everyone in time and together Whereas the you know the uh, lead guitarist is able to play melodies and solos over what the rhythm section is doing, but it's different with drummers because there isn't really a lead drummer and a rhythm drummer. You're both filling that role, so one person can just say um, either I'll play fills and you just play the steady two and four for the thing, or we're both just going to do it or uh, whatever it is. But you really have to plan ahead of time. I would imagine. I've never done it. See, but well, that's what, so it's like first and second chair violin, like, you know, one, yeah. one, one person is going to take the lead, but what it, it always seems to me like that would, that would require enough work that you would lose some flexibility. Like you'd be spending your time trying to stay in sync with somebody rather mm-hmm. than, you know, concentrating on your own rhythm, your own beat. And, and, you know, every once in a while, a little fill to go with the meat. Sure. I mean, when I'm when I was playing with 
in rock bands, I always listen to the bass player. He's always my best friend in a band because he's the two of you have to keep everyone together. That's your primary job is to maintain the tempo, keep everyone together, even if the guitarist or the singer is going off on a tangent, which they're more than welcome to do. You got to keep everyone, you know, you know where we are. You don't want anyone to get lost. And uh, I don't know. I think it would be harder to do that with another drummer. I don't know. I would be worried it, about it. You it know, the, the sound comes out. It's cool. But I, I don't know. It's just it's one way to do things, I guess. Yeah. And, and it's fun when you're playing with a bunch of guys that you've known for years. And, you know, yeah, I'm sure you know. And you just know each other so well. And you know what a person's likely to do in a certain section or a certain piece of music. And you can just sort of anticipate it and let them do it and vice versa and that's when it's oh it's just so much fun it's fun i love it i do miss playing with other people i gotta say yesterday uh the lead singer of the last band i was in uh Mm -hmm. which i was kicked out of um (laughs) he he friended me on facebook and i haven't responded yet because i have very mixed feeling having toured across the country with this guy Mm-hmm. I I I really do have some very strong um dislike for his mm-hmm. personality. And uh I get I actually couldn't concentrate on anything after I got that friend request. And normally I'm just I'm it's easy for me to ignore people. Mm. But that like cuz my brain was wondering did he change is that why he's you know contacting right. me? And well, the weird thing is my drummer had the week before had friended me. Uh, our drummer um but uh but then he never replied after i accepted his request hmm. so it, it's like ghosts ghosts of my past are just randomly Friendly friending you. me <laughs> yeah your instrument was guitar right what's that no i was bass okay so when did that start for you when did you start playing when that band started I was oh, a, yeah. i was a guitar player and a singer up until that band and they only needed a bass player Mm-hmm. And uh, they had found a base in a dumpster. <laughs> and, uh, and that's pretty much how I was living at the time anyway. So I took that, like, it was a fender with all the serial numbers and everything filed off of it. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I learned bass kind of. I was never great because I always wanted to play it like a guitar, but didn't have strong enough fingers to. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll, I'll admit, I have uh, I have some rhythm issues. <laughs> and coordinate, I think it's more coordination. Like I've tried playing drums. I spent a summer really wanting to play drums, mm-hmm. but I don't have the, like my hands move faster. My mind knows what the beat is, Yeah, but, but my hands can't stay in sync. Um, and then I rush it and then I get, you know, I stumble over myself in, uh, in layman's term. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, do you think that some people are. Do you think anyone can learn to play the drums or is there a certain uh, uh, level of hand-eye coordination that you absolutely have to have before you can train anything? I think anyone can learn to play. I don't know if anyone can learn to play especially well. Oh, my God. I'm going to try so hard not to sound like a pompous ass right now. If I do, forgive me. I'm honestly not trying. But I'm... When my parents loved to tell me that one of my favorite things to do when I was a kid, and by kid I mean two and three, was sit by the radio with two wooden blocks and just bang them on one, two, three, and four for whatever song came on. And I would just do that for hours if they let me. And I, I, I really think that I'm just able to do it. 
I don't know why, but I could, I could just, I was able to just find the beat and I was always interested in that. And so when I started playing, um, I learned on classical snare, which is what I think how all drummers should learn. There's nothing makes me cringe more than when a drum uh, musician says, oh, I, I can't even read music. Like, oh, come on. There's millions of kids who look up to you and you just gave them permission to not take lessons or learn to read music. So I learned uh, classical snare and I did that for from fourth grade all the way through when I graduated high school. And um, um, But then I started playing rock drums also probably in junior high. And I found that it was weird, and I've, I've explained this to other drummers before, and some of them say they get it. It's when you can sort of put the beat, whatever it is, on autopilot. It's so, sort of like flipping the cruise control in your car, and that's just happening. So you're not really paying attention to it anymore. And then you can hear in the song a section where a nice fill would go or some sort of other artistic flourish or an opportunity to play off of one of the other uh, musicians is coming. You can feel it eight beats away or two measures away. And then this sounds crazy, but I see the shape of the fill more than what I'm going to hit. So it's like, I, I even know how to explain it. If, if I want to go to like the bass time on my left, the one on my right, the floor tom, and then the like two crashes, I see that like triangle shape with two stars up. I know it makes no sense, but that's how it's always worked. So the beat is completely on autopilot, and I'm just listening for an opportunity to do something like that. And then maybe a measure beforehand, I see how it's going to go, and then I just play the pattern. You're such a pompous ass. I know I am. No, I actually was trying to figure out why you uh, why you thought that was going to sound pompous. but Because I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm the world's greatest musician, because I'm, I'm clearly not. I washed out of music school. But <laughs> actually, <laughs> that's how it's always been. I took when I the the period of my life where I was taking music theory courses. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I feel like when you first start music theory, you learn a bunch of rules, and in the process of following them, you you dumb yourself down because all of a sudden you know what you're not supposed to do, and you're not making happy accidents anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not until you get enough music theory that you know how to creatively break the rules in a way that works that yes. it actually pays off. Yeah. What you said is absolutely dead on correct. And that's what I used to try to teach my students. When I first got out of school, I was giving snare lessons is you can't break the rules until you fully understand them and don't think of the rules as constraints. Although that's not really a bad thing, but think of them as your toolbox. If you want to be a professional plumber and all you have is one single crescent wrench, you're going to be extremely limited in what you're able to do. But if you've got the full Sears kit and that big red thing with the sliding drawers and the wheels, you can do anything. And that's not the, the slide. The, your, the tools aren't your drums. It's your con, your grasp of music theory. And think of um, like E.E. E. Cummings wouldn't have been E.E. E. Cummings without a firm grasp of English and grammar. And he wrote with all sorts of crazy lowercase letters and he threw periods and punctuation out the window, but he knew how to do it in a way that would make sense. So you can't break the rules and play in a crazy odd type signature while everyone else is playing in 4-4 unless you understand how and why that's going to work and why the result is going to be 
pleasing. And even you, you've got to learn that. Even then, even when you're very astutely aware of all of that, mm-hmm. and you go and play free jazz, it still sucks. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, my freshman year. <laughs> I went to Berkeley College of Music right out of college in, in Boston, and I spent two years there. And that is a jazz school. Oh, oh, through and through, it's a jazz school. And I've never been experienced, exposed to jazz at all in Scranton. So, you know, I made friends with my buddies, and there was there's always a show going on somewhere on campus. Um, and we went to one building that was sort of a uh, they would call it out, sort of experimental jazz. There's really like no form, no time signature. There's no like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, refrain. It just seems like they're just playing. <laughs> it sounds like warming up for yeah, about exactly. 17 minutes. And I did and not take understand it. Like, what? <laughs> I like and my songs by hooks me. and choruses. And... I do too. I just want to be able to understand it. And I couldn't understand that. It sounded like tuning up for 45 minutes and we went home. And said, what the hell did Dude, we just no, I got I got past the point where I, I felt like I didn't understand it. Mm. I have just become of the opinion that it's exactly what it sounds like. And people who sit and nod their head and, and dig into all the layers of sound, I'm, I'm bored with them. I'm, I'm mm. not, I'm not, uh. I'm not accepting that they're any way more musically intelligent than me because I know that it sounds horrible. (laughs) That's not to say all jazz is horrible, but there is like that really experimental free jazz is unlistenable. Yeah, I agree. I don't understand it. My, I hear everything sort of as music all the time. Um, my windshield wipers are 60 beats per minute. <laughs> they go dunk, dunk, dunk. And I've even, uh, there was one time where I was in the living room and I could hear the dishwasher and it makes this noise like dun, 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 dun. And I actually drew out four measures of four, four and wrote the notes that it was playing. <laughs> this is why. Because I was compelled to do it. I could not do that. This is why you like industrial music. Which I happen to know about you. Oh, I love it very much, yes. Yeah, I mean, like, these days, I don't don't know if anything's still classified as industrial, but in the early days when it was, like, Thriving Gristle and then, like, Einstein's Mm -hmm. and Eddie Newbottom, you know, like, Mm -hmm. up through the ages, um, like, there was some really, it was exactly people listening for sounds in everyday life and, and grabbing onto them and turning them into loud, obnoxious things, but really like grounded in a very artistic, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, found like found paper art. It's, Mm. it's found sound. Yeah, absolutely. I remember listening to, um, this is when I got to Berkeley, uh, was also my introduction to industrial music. This was like 89 and I think pretty hate machine had just come out and that was probably the first industrial album I had. That was nine Chanel's pretty hate machine is 89 or 90, I think. And my friend, uh, John, who had been living in L.A. before coming to Berkeley, brought all this stuff with him. And I guess, um, (laughs) believe it or not, L.A. had a bigger music scene than Scranton. I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I started listening to it, and it's just amazing. Nine Snails and Nitzer Ebb and um, KMFDM and um, Repeat Manifesto was one of my absolute favorites. I still love 99%. That's one of my favorite albums. Like Front 242? 
Oh yeah, Front Two Four Two and Eight Oh Eight State and Ministry and on the all the projects that Al Jurgensen did, um, you know, Lard and, and Revco and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. And so I spent a lot of my time in industrial clubs in and around Boston when I was a young lad, having a great time. Did you wear a lot of black? Oh, lots blacks. My my Doc Martin boots, um, red hair to my shoulders the yeah whole see like boodle. it wasn't called the goth movement back then you know it was industrial but it quickly became goth by about well that, that would have been like 94 95 i think those yeah all those the pure and bauhaus fans sort of cops yeah. the look <laughs> yeah well and now it's like you can buy it at any mall it's kind of like punk rock but anyway right do you remember the the uh rod stewart cover on uh finger linger ficken good yeah i sure do oh that was so good we actually had um revco's first single was a cover of um let's get physical yes i live in you and john and they released just 666 copies and that version is different than if you if you go and buy the album now you'll hear a different version because they didn't get permission they just recorded it Uh, and the version now is a little different some lyrics are a little changed and that is one piece of music i dearly dread having lost um, regret having lost i'm so bummed i don't have that anymore yeah i understand uh there there are a few unrecoverable uh, records that I've uh, that have gone by the wayside for me that I miss uh, frequently. Last industrial question though: uh, Did you hear uh, "Pretty Eight Machine"? Yes. Not only did I hear it, I was blown away and no. bought it immediately. <laughs> that one I'll probably link in the show notes because everyone needs to hear that. If you've ever been a fan of uh, Nine Inch Nails, especially like "Pretty Hate Machine" era. This is the yeah. whole album, the entire album done note for note in 8-bit sounds. And like authentic, not just sampled, but authentic 8-bit uh, FM synthesis. And uh, it's crazy, crazy good. Really good. It's like Mod Tracker era stuff. Right. And it's good. It's not like, oh, that's cute. Look what they did. No, it's like I ended totally up listening to the whole to thing. Like Ring Finger, I think, is almost improved. It's so <laughs> good. <laughs> I agree. I agree. There, it, it it gives the original a run for its money, for sure. All right. Well, um, I'm gonna do our third sponsor, and then we're gonna do the three picks of the week. Okay. Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have to think fast, but we'll get there. Uh, in the meantime, our third sponsor is Mailchimp. Uh, they're easy to use email newsletters. Or just easy email newsletters, like it says in the script, and I should have said. Um, MailChimp helps you design email newsletters. You can share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's your own personal publishing platform. They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand, so you can share it on the website, on your website, and integrate it into your Facebook page. They can even collect sign-ups from an iPad or laptop. Importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter how it's formatted. You can personalize everything uh, your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. There's never been a better time to try MailChimp. You can send up to 2,000 emails to 12,000 people for free. 
That doesn't um just visit mailchimp.com slash five by five to learn more. Does that mean you send two thousand emails to twelve thousand people each? Cause that seems like an infinite supply. <laughs> it does. All right. Do you have like a top number one app pick of the week? That I'm using all the time? Yeah, like right now. It doesn't it doesn't have to be like historically awesome or anything that's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. A year from now. But what's mm-hmm. what floats your boat today? What's floating my boat today is Silent History. Silent History is an ebook with sort of a geolocation twist. Um, it's really, really fun. So the idea is it's a sci-fi book about a group of kids who were born around 2011 who don't talk. Now, they aren't autistic. They aren't deaf. They are, aren't mute. They're simply don't talk. I don't know how else to explain it, but through this book presents a series of case studies and field reports. And the case studies are some are set, you know, 2010, 2020, because the kids were just born as we're talking now about a year ago. And so you get sort of a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more information about these kids and you know, the teachers who find them odd and then the sort of strange things they start doing and it becomes a little ominous, but not really. And it's a really fun fi- science fiction story, but the real fun comes from the case reports. And this is where you have to get out your map and be standing within a certain geographic location to open that chapter. And I was very surprised that there's actually one here on Cape Cod. So I follow the directions and ended up standing at the beach where there's inexplicably a huge post standing about 20 feet in the middle of the sand in the middle of the beach. I've never noticed it before, but once I was standing in front of the post, it recognized my location and presented the chapter, which was really fun about a family that was sitting on the beach. And here comes a bunch of silence as the kids are referred to in the story, obviously from a camp who were swimming and running around in their, you know, silent way and found a piece of driftwood and for some reason they all just sort of gathered around and without speaking or apparently coordinating anything just stuck it and buried it about 24 inches in the ground stood around it for a few minutes and walked back away and it was really fun to be standing there looking at the pole and feeling the sand and looking at the ocean and reading this story there are field reports all over the world. I think there's some, they're in several countries. I, I doubt I'll see all of them. But the story's compelling, and that little aspect is is a lot of fun. It's called Sound History. I think it's at thesoundhistory.com. Um, the book is free to read the first few chapters, and then I think it's $4.99 to unlock the whole lot. So it's fun. That's awesome. That sounds actually kind of magical. It, it really is. They release just a few chapters per week, so you have to sort of wait um, um, the next week for the next batch to to show up. I like it, and it looks really good too. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, um, it's kind of like uh, like Lost was like that for me. It would end, and I'd know I'd have to wait a week, and I'd be like angry, <laughs> but I would love it. Or the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like. When you see it and you love it and you know it's a year before you're going to see the next one. Yeah. That's how I feel about The Hobbit right now. I'm so eager for that movie. We've got to wait. Yeah. You ever see uh, It's All Gone Pete Tongue? 
No. I can't stop talking about this movie. I, I saw it years ago for the first time. Um, but uh, I, I've been watching it more recently, uh, twice in the last year or two, which is very frequent for me with movies I don't repeat very often. But you mm. have to see this. It's, it's like a, a grown man with the personality of an ADD four-year-old, and he's a DJ who goes deaf. Oh jeez! But it, it's it's a there's redemption, uh, kind of. But he's like a yeah. Johnny Rotten kind of like, not as smart or as snide as Johnny Rotten, just kind of as hyper and uh, destructive. Um, <laughs> it's it's a great movie. Like there's so many good lines. I can't repeat. Oh, right. I can't repeat any of them on the air. But <laughs> I'm writing it down right now. It it is on iTunes. Um, okay, maybe cool. that's my. Can that be a pick of the week? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, okay, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's all gone, Pete Tong. Um, it's it's a bit R rated. It's a bit, uh, yeah. It's it's R rated. I shouldn't say a bit, but uh, but <laughs> it's kind of a big boy. I can uh, take. Yeah, I think we have a lot of listeners over the age of sixteen or whatever is R. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I think I don't either. I'll pick it's one for the so kids long. next. <laughs> okay. So, oh man, I, that was short. I know, but do you have a second one? I do. I'm, um, I'm enjoying. I'm playing with Netbot right now, which is basically Tweetbot for an ADN. Um, ADN is app.net. If you're not familiar, which is, I would guess you could say it's a Twitter competitor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's. I don't think Working it would be. I don't think it would be wise for them to build themselves directly as a Twitter competitor, yeah, uh, but, but as an alternative. Um, it's a more realistic expectation. Yeah, let's say it's a it's a social media tool that's similar to Twitter. Aye. And this is um, customer funded as opposed to other sources of funding. So which is sort of, I guess, part of the appeal. And I've been waiting for a, a, an app on my iPhone that I would like. There's a few free ones that I tried. And they all fell short for some reason or another. But NetBot... Um, looks a lot and behaves a lot like Tweetbot. If you're familiar with it, you'll appreciate exactly how it looks and behaves. And uh, it's working. Um, I don't know if I'm a complete app.net convert yet, but at least I know I have an app that makes me willing to use it on my phone. You and a lot of people. Yeah. Like my follower count on app.net probably doubled the day that came out because all of a sudden everyone's (laughs) like, you can just hit a button and all your Twitter friends are transported. These ones with the same username. And, Mm -hmm. and just all of a sudden, it just blew up. Like it became the day that that came out, app.net became useful to me. Yeah, me too. I don't like to use those things in a browser. Um, I found with with Twitter because I just don't want to jump back and forth and I I have to have a standalone app or I'm simply not going to use it. And so, yeah, same thing here. App.net became usable to me when tap or what is it? AppBot showed up. Definitely. Do you have a Do you have a desktop client you like? I've been playing with. Oh, I'm on my Snow Leopard machine right now. Um, what is it called? Wedge. Wedge. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm playing with Wedge. It's It's pretty good. Wedge is my favorite so far, but it's not there yet. It's, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. It's uh, there's there's still um, there's room for a Tweety. Someone could really. <laughs> 
I don't know. Is. I don't know what the profit margin in app.net clients is right now, but I think the the market will grow, and I think that a good app could could bring more users and more money. But yeah, for sure. Okay, so my second pick. I'm actually counting correctly this week. That's weird. I'm oddly <laughs> focused. That's um, good. I um so yeah, uh live reload. It's uh it's a web design tool and really only of interest to people who do web design, but definitely useful to people at all levels of web design. Because mm. if you're a beginner, it, it'll show you as you make changes to a CSS file, it will update them in your browser without refreshing the page. It injects the changes. Hmm. Um, so they're applied uh, instantly as you as you save your file. And um, it reloads a page anytime the HTML changes, but CSS is, is live. And um, so that's really handy if you're, you know, just getting started and want to see what stuff does. Yeah. But you can also, it can compile SAS and uh, LAS, Compass, um, uh, Hamel, I think. And, but it handles a lot of more advanced uh, syntaxes. And um, my favorite part is I last night I was working on a responsive design mm-hmm. and I had my iPad, my iPhone 4, my iPhone 5, and Firefox, Safari, and Chrome open on a two monitor setup, all at uh, breakpoint sizes. And I would just hit save on a CSS file mm-hmm. and all of it would refresh at once. <laughs> like I could great. instantly see changes across all devices. That is great because it actually like you insert a script line in the head of the file uh, before you load it on each device, and then when it loads the page, it connects to a server that Live Reload is running on your Mac, mm. and then it can push changes out uh, to any device. Which is I don't know, it's amazing. Uh, there are a lot that watch uh, watch files and a lot that refresh browsers, but. This has been a really cool experience, being able to just hold my iPhone in my hand as I make changes and see them appear. And that's got to save a ton of time. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I, I, what I did last night would normally have taken me probably a week. Wow. Well, because I would spend a couple days on each device. Yeah. But this way I can develop, you know, mobile first. I can move my, I can progressively enhance, but I can see... As I do that, chances are I'm going to break something back where I started. Mm-hmm. This gives me like a monitor over everything that I'm doing and how it affects every different size of screen. And yeah. Yeah, you can huge, stay on top of that. Huge time saver. That is really cool. All you. All right. I'm going to move to the Mac for number three. And I'm going to pick Liquid Information. Liquid Information is this nifty little tool that I've just been using the daylights out of. The more you use it, the more you really figure out what it can do. Um, I guess I can just best explain it by just talking about how to, how I use it. So it pops up a little window, uh, like Alfred does, I guess, and with a field. And in the field, you can type just about anything you want. Like right now, I'll type... Uh, Swiss Army Knife, because that's what I'm thinking about as I type this. And from there, you can uh, do a search in any search engine you want. You can look that up in Wikipedia or Wolfram or IMDb or others. You can translate it into a huge number of other languages. 
You can share with just about any sharing service you want, or if you're doing measurements, you can convert currency, temperature, area, speed, distance, volume, weight, or height, or data, and it's all of these are with keystrokes. I did see this. I remember the press release for this. At first, it I didn't is, know what you were talking about. It is the niftiest little thing. So you'll just type, you just let it run whenever you want. You hit your hotkey to pull it up front. You type whatever you're interested in in the field, and then just hit whatever keystroke will perform the action you want. Perform a search, do a conversion, uh, do some reference research, translate it, or share. It's once you get into it, and of course you memorize the things. It's just so amazingly fast, and I'm I'm in love with it. I think it is at liquid.info. Yep, that's right. It's great. It's, it's and again, it ends up saving me tons of time. And you can find it in the Mac App Store now for just ninety nine cents. Very nice. I I was tempted to try that. I don't remember. I think I just, as I was looking at it, decided that I did not need at that point in time one more thing to, like, one more utility to hang around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. I, I find when I'm writing two outposts, I can, and I want to research whatever, like the original iPhone's launch date, that's when I'll pull it up, type it in, hit return, or hit my keystroke real quick, and it just jumps right to it. It's so much easier than opening a tab, doing a search in Google, searching through the results. It's, it definitely saves me time. Yeah, I, uh, I'm all about saving. I'm all about avoiding searching in the browser. Yeah, me too. So many times, so many times I know exactly what link I want. It's going to be the first hit if I formulate the query correctly. Mm-hmm. So I love services that let me just write out my query and then replace it with a link and never have to leave my editor. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right, so I'm on number three. And I I don't have one. Um, I'm looking through my list of all my recently used applications, and mm-hmm. it's overwhelming. Um, <laughs> I, I'm having trouble picking one. So let me ask you a question. Okay. What is your favorite file manager? Do you just use Finder? Oh man, I hate I, I hate to admit I do, but I do. I don't think um, that's a bad. I thing. do. I, I feel like admirable. I should have an answer like I use one of the what is that real fancy one that everyone uses? Pathfinder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would actually be shocked if you told me you used anything <laughs> beyond like Total Finder. Yeah, I'm not a real Pathfinder kind of guy. No. And I still I'd... do nested folders and all that. <laughs> well, I yeah. I've been developing a little more of a folder-based system lately. My faith in tagging and everything is is getting uh, shakier. I just don't want my whole system to depend on bizarre file management techniques that Apple may eradicate. Yeah, what was that? Was there one called Tags? That's what I'm thinking tags of. That was general. Awesome. Tags is the best app for open meta tags, where you can tag anything on your system, and then use Spotlight and Tags itself to find like. Uh, iTunes songs, iPhoto pictures, emails, files, uh, Photoshop documents. Like you can tag from just about anywhere. You hit a hotkey, type in a tag or two, and mm. then it's it's saved. And then you can create like a smart folder for everything tagged, uh, like Norway. Well, here's my problem with everything tagging. Maybe you can get rid of my fear. I'm I'm afraid of the just an amorphous pile. You know, because I, I guess I was raised 
to put folders inside of folders. Right. And I don't like thinking of just one master folder with thousands of stuff in it. I know that I it's searchable by tag, but well, I fear that big folder. Yeah, see, I don't uh I don't do the one one big folder. I still mm. spread things out by project. And the nice thing okay. the nice thing about tags is because it it's a spotlight-based system. I can bring together files from all different folders into one uh kind of category search. So mm. I can file all of my projects in a, a, a shallow hierarchy. And then mm-hmm. when I want to see like everything that's related, not by a folder hierarchy, but by a, a tag of, of whatever, you know, taxonomy that um, makes sense within the context of my current search, I, they just all come together and they, they all have that relationship. And, and it does take a conscious effort not to just, go insane with tagging and make a huge pile of tags that mm-hmm. also then becomes unmanageable. But I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm flexing on, on my systems right now. Uh, I haven't had the time to really fiddle with it, but my mind yeah. is definitely wandering away from where I've been, which happens, you know, every four years, I pretty much go under, undergo a complete mental change my whole life, every four years, at least since I was like, a like 12, right? <laughs> like a Phoenix that, that never fully like burns to the ashes, just kind of flops around on the ground and like kicking dust up and eventually gets <laughs> back to its feet and shakes off and wonders why everyone left. Um, I, so <laughs> tags isn't my pick and it hasn't been updated for a long time and I, I, it's a great app and it still works, but I think I want to pick Pixa, Pixa. Pixa.app. Mm. Um, it's a it's a image manager m- primarily geared towards designers and people who have a lot of icons and vector images. And okay. uh, it, they recently add it's still in beta. Uh, recently added uh, live folders so that it can import into its preview database anything that uh, is placed in a certain folder. And uh, um, there's a two way sync with that folder which is a feature that I really wanted and now it has it. And overall it's been pretty uh, rock solid and very good for like, I used to use like Aperture for handling mm-hmm. all my stock photos and stuff uh, and icons too. And it's, it's unwieldy for, for stock stuff. It's, I like it for my family photos, you know, but mm-hmm. um and if I were a real photographer, I would probably like it for job shoots and everything. But Pixel is awesome for what I actually do with images, which is more uh, web-based and web-designed. So um, I will link that and let you discover it because it's free in beta and I don't have to explain it. You can just try it. Mm, nice. All right. Well, uh, you can be found on Twitter. You've, you changed your handle. It's Dave Kalo now, right? Yeah, Dave or David. I have both of them. Will work. On Twitter? Yeah, it's a long story. That's insane. I know. You're you're name squatting. All right. So <laughs> so uh at Dave Kalo or David Kalo and mm-hmm. uh on app.net as David Kalo. David. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh you have uh uh your blog. Yeah, uh that's fifty two tiger.net and that's numeral five two tiger.net i was meant to ask you about the title but that's for another time um okay and and also you can find you at uh at tua where you are gainfully employed yeah. that's right 
All right, and I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm TT Scoff on Twitter and app.net and just about everywhere. And uh, I blog at brettterpstra.com. And um, I have a book and an app and everything. You'll, you'll find it. Um, that's, uh, that's episode 15. Have a great week.